Hey everybody, this is Atkins. And this is Adam. We're welcoming you to another episode of Kyo Cinema, the second episode of Kyo Cinema. And tonight, today, this afternoon, whenever it is that you'll be listening to this, we're going to be covering Dragon Ball, colon, Sleeping Princess in Devil's Castle. And as always, Kyo Cinema is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. This is going to be an awesome episode, episode two, covering the second Dragon Ball movie, uh, which effectively replaces the second arc in the original show because it's replacing kind of the intro to the tournament saga. Yeah, I so I think that the first movie definitely felt like you could just slot it in and yeah, it would be fine. This one has a lot more that felt off book or new. Yeah, I totally agree. It it feels more like they were trying to almost bridge the gap in a movie format. Like it's not the tournament stuff at all, but it's kind of how they got prepped for the tournament instead of the in uh, TV show explanation of their training, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, in the Dragon Ball anime, uh, Krillin and Goku do manage to find their way to Kame House at the same time. And he sends them off to go and bring him back a peachy peachy girl. Um, but they find launch after a couple of miscues from Goku and bring her back. So like, the very beginning and the very end are the same. The how in between is the different thing. Exactly. exactly. And I kind of like it because it really leans hard into what I think Dragon Ball does maybe better than, well, I would say definitely better than a lot of what Dragon Ball Z did. And GT returned to a little bit of this format, which is just people going out on adventures. Um, and, and that's what this movie felt like in the middle. Now, I will also say at the same time, I felt like they skipped a lot of what could have been really neat opportunities during the adventure and like fast tracked it a little bit. Um, but we can talk about it when we get there. Absolutely. But before we get into the movie itself, we've got a quick announcement. Uh, we've got another giveaway that we want to do for all of our Kyo cinema listeners. We actually came across this really awesome dragon ball Z popcorn maker. And uh, Casey from the BPN was like, dude, You've got to get this and give it away for a big Kyo Cinema release. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we picked one up. We've got it ready to ship to you. There's just a couple things you've got to do in order to get entry into this giveaway. Uh, we're going to do another raffle copter. I'm sure you have saw it on our last one with Almighty Podcast. So there will be a link in the description of the episode. But basically, if you follow Almighty Podcast, if you follow Back Patio Network, and if you tweet at either of those accounts or tag both of us, just letting us know your favorite Dragon Ball franchise movie and use the hashtag Cinema. You'll get entries into this giveaway, uh, and we'll announce the winner in the next episode. So here in two weeks when we cover, oh, what is the next one? Is it, uh, it's one of our first Dragon Ball Z movie episodes, isn't it? No, we've got one more Dragon Ball movie, Mystical Adventure. Mystical then Adventure, okay. we'll get into some Dragon Ball Z stuff. And the next episode, the one in which we will cover Mystical Adventure, is going to be the last one that will be available for Frizzle on the AMP feed. Once we get into the Z stuff, we will be behind that Patreon wall. But you do not have to follow us behind that paywall in order to win this cool popcorn thing. So if you're just listening to these three episodes, uh, you, you don't end up throwing any money at uh, the back patio through their Patreon. We could still hook you up with a cool snack device. Absolutely. And then you can watch the movies every other week and hop in the Discord and talk about it if you want, because we'd love to have you there. We have a, an awesome like friend group hanging out all the time, talking all different animes. We've got, uh, I, I think it's uh, Stricken. Is his name Stricken? That's uh, yeah. That's actually got like an ongoing watch list that he has people vote on. So come hang out. Talk anime with us. I mean, we're having a blast. 
Yeah, I really like that idea, actually, of telling folks, hey, listen, even if you can't listen to Kyo Cinema, jump in on the Almighty Discord and, and chit-chat with us. We talk about all sorts of anime stuff in there, and we, Adam and I, would personally love it. I'm sure some of the other guys might scoff at it a little bit, <laughs> but Adam and I would love a little bit more Dragon Ball Z chit-chat in that channel, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and hey, Attack on Titan, the new season's coming up soon, or the, the second half of the last season. I need some folks to talk to you about that, because that show's crazy. But let's start talking about Sleeping Princess in the Devil's Castle, or in Devil's Castle. There is no the. It's just one of one of the many, I guess. Um, it begins, it opens up really cool. I actually really, really liked the animation at the very beginning of this movie when we're introduced to uh, the, the idea, the concept of Devil's Hand, which are these five gloomy peaks that are it's all creepy. protruding up from the ground. The artwork is super creepy. Yeah, it's very choppy, and it looks almost like they kind of did this weird, like, changed cells relatively slowly so that it looks really stop-motion-y almost. Um, very sketchy-looking. Uh, it's explained that the sleeping princess of unspeakable beauty is guarded by the blackest and most sinister legion of the underworld. And uh, like I said, the art is choppy. It looks pretty like horrific, like it has a very horror tinge with blacks and reds and green mouths. And there's this, in the English at least, uh, there is this shrill scream at one point. <laughs> it's like I had my volume up way too loud the first time I was watching this and it made me jump a little bit. Yeah, you're definitely spot on when you talk about the horror scene. Like. It's pretty freaky. It it almost feels like they've got like an actual set with like a backdrop or something. Like that's kind of this weird animation that you're talking about. It's it's definitely really crazy. Uh, but what right after we get that, we go right into the intro, which I feel like in this movie the intro makes sense because it's not just a recap of this like first season, like the intro in the first movie. It's actually like a legitimate intro. It's just kind of random scenes. You know what I mean? Yep. So we get. The intro, and then after, we immediately meet Goku, who is flying through the air, riding the Nimbus, trying to make it to Kami House, and we've got a whole other voice actor. Like, pretty much everyone in this movie, almost, has been recast, it seems like. Yeah, so we've discovered through doing some research, um, for the sake of talking about these movies, that the first movie that we watched together, The uh, Curse of the Blood Rupees, was actually... Uh, dubbed much later on, and so that's why, like, Monica Rial, who wasn't um, a part of the, the voice casting until much later, was Balma in that, because she had been serving as Balma in Kai, and also for Super, and so they were like, well, if you're Balma there, why why wouldn't you be Balma even in this first movie that is now 30 years old? Um, and so this movie is actually the first one that Funimation ended up dubbing into English. I think that there were some rights issues with the first one that kind of got it hung up. But we end up with um, somebody named Celi Delgadillo uh, Del as Goku, as Kid Goku. I, I do not like her as Goku at all. Um, but she does play <laughs> Din, like Kid Dende in Dragon Ball Z. So this is the only time we ever hear. Oh, really? I didn't realize. I, I like her as Kid Dende, but it really threw me off hearing Goku that way. In fact, all the characters, for the most part, except for Yamcha and Roshi, really threw me off in this movie. Uh, but we're going to catch back up with Goku, who is on Kami House, or not on Kami House, but he's on uh, Roshi's Island, and he's interrupted him. He's been watching some jazzercise, and, you know, Roshi's chilling, and all of a sudden, Goku's there. And so Goku actually has to, like, yell at him to get his attention. And he asks to become Roshi's student, and Roshi's like, well, I don't know. I don't really take on students or anything. And it's really funny because Goku has this quick quip, and he's like, well, hey, you know, I'm not sure what it takes, but if all I have to do is watch TV, I'm sure I can do that. Yeah, for the most part, while Adam and I are discussing these things, we're going to be talking exclusively about 
the English dub. Yes. But occasionally I will say in the Japanese it was a little different because I will sit down and watch these movies when I can, uh, the way God intended. Um, another thing I wanted to cover too, just because I think that this is a silly thing that I notice all the time. First thing that we see Goku do in this movie is the same thing we see Goku do for the first time in Dragon Ball and in Curse of the Blood Rupees, which is catch a fish. Um, yeah. It's the first thing we see him do, which is, and then he bonks a monkey with the bones, which made me chuckle a little <laughs> bit. Um, but yeah, in, in the Japanese, Goku's just like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm stronger than you, so <laughs> he just like cuts to the quick of it a little bit but uh his his chiding of roshi whichever form that it took in the english or the japanese is interrupted because goku has superhuman senses uh and hears krillin uh rowing his way to kami house long before even roshi can see him basically on the horizon yeah but it's funny because like you say superhuman senses but i don't know i don't have we ever seen him just miraculously have like incredible hearing I felt like in this movie it it happened once and then never came back up or was it happens mentioned. again when they're at the when they're at the castle. Remember, he's like, "Don't you hear that, Krill?" And Krill's like, "What?" And Goku's like, "Sounds like an army." And then the army runs at him. Oh yeah, I guess. But it that's feels true. like the army would be easier to hear than somebody rowing a boat. Yes, but this is Krillin, and he is arriving on the island. He's just paddling his way on up to this little island, and he hops off and does the same thing that Goku did. He wants to be Roshi's student, and Roshi's like, well, look, I can't afford the both of you, and Krillin apologizes. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You're very right. I brought you a gift, and he hands over a couple of nudie mags. And, How did uh, he know? Surely Roshi has to be close to some city or or somewhere he gets supplies from, and people know him as like the pervy old guy on the island. Okay, and the other thing that I would take issue with is, like, I will get, just go ahead and say I've never bought a nudie bag, but I've seen them on, like, shelves and stuff at gas stations. Well, who buys and they're always nudie in mags like, huh? in 2021? I said, who yeah. buys nudie mags in 2021? <laughs> it's true. I guess you could get them for free on your computers and stuff. But when I was a kid, I remember seeing them, like, at gas stations. I still yeah. see them around town, I think, sometimes in these little black sleeves, you know? They're, like, right, covered right. up. This magazine, even if it came with one... It's like out of like full nude woman on the front of it. And they, like none of it is obscured. No, not how at did, all. How did Krillin get his hands on this magazine? He had to have like done that thing that people do a movie with uh, adults when they want beer, which is like, hey, if I give you 20 bucks, can you buy me that nudie mag so I can go be a student for Master Roshi? Or he stole it. I mean, I don't know how many gas stations I've been into where they're like on the corner rack just right there. You just grab one and walk out or something, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, we know monk. he can't He's sit on the Nimbus. Well, he can't sit on the Nimbus. He's at least lied before. That's Oh, maybe that's why he can't, because he, he done stole the nudie mags. We've, yeah. we've got to the bottom of that problem before it even presented itself in the, uh, in the movie. <laughs> Done. Okay, that's we figured it out. <laughs> Krillin in this movie is voiced by Laurie Steele, to the best of my ability, and uh, to, to deduce, there were a couple names that come up, uh, but and I, I think that she's the one. And I also think that she w- voiced him for the majority of Dragon Ball, um, the series, yeah. if not the entirety of it. Roshi is voiced by a guy named Mike McFarland, and he is my Roshi. Like, he's the Roshi that I know and am familiar with. He's been Roshi since forever, um, but he also does Yajirobe Android 8 or 8 um, He even does Baby Vegeta in GT. Really? Huh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He's, so he's, he's been around. Also, he voices Ojiro and Ectoplasm in My Hero Academia. Oh, that's really cool. So we got even more MHA slash DBZ crossovers. Sadly, he never gets to talk in My Hero if he's Ojiro. Not much. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
We get, we'll we'll leave our rants against Ocherov to the AMP. <laughs> but yeah, Roshi complains about gifts. Krillin hooks him up with this nudie mag. Goku begins to poke fun at Krillin's bald head. Um, and there there's a difference between the English and the Japanese here. Uh, because in the English, Krillin is like, well, it's so that enemies can't grab your hair. All martial arts masters do it. And, you know, he's like, look at Roshi's head. And Roshi's just like, well, yeah, mine, mine just fell out. Um, but, but the funniest part about that in the JP was that uh, the music, like all sound cuts out for that comedic beat of Roshi's. Oh, that's awesome. It, it hits way funnier. That is funny. Yeah, because in the English version, I think he he's just like, oh, well, you know, that's just what monks do. That's what we're supposed to do. Like even Roshi's got his cut off and it's the same thing. He's like, oh, my hair just fell out. But I like how Goku asks because he's like, hey, do you know you're bald? Yeah. <laughs> and I also like how Krillin just commits to it. So even though... First thing he finds out about Roshi is that he does not cut his hair for any tactical advantage. Krillin continues to stick with that do until like really late in Z. Oh, yeah. Like forever late in Z. Like yeah. after he's basically retired. So, yeah. So he, I he don't think we'll ever that. see his hair in a movie, will we? Uh, uh, you know what? I Battle of the do. Gods. I think he's got his hair. Yeah. I think we do. Yeah. So, well, D- Roshi decides that he's going to test both of these kids, and whoever wins is going to be his new student. Of course, Goku is immediately bummed because he's like, well, I never got any schooling. And Roshi's like, not that kind of test, you idiot. And Krillin goes, oh, yeah, okay, I know. We're going to fight. And and Roshi's like, no, that's not it either. Actually, and he retells the legend of the sleeping princess. And uh, we find out that there's this princess that's been locked away in this castle. She's being guarded, blah, blah, blah. We've already talked about it. He says, you know, go find her. And Goku's like, well, where, you know, like, she's got to be starving. And yeah. he's like, no, you, I think he calls him a it. putz or something. He's, he's like, I love it yeah. when Goku is naive and he does it all the time. It, he doesn't grow out of his naivety. No, never, ever. Not even now in the current show. Um, but yeah, so he, he asked Roshi like, all right, well, can you at least point us in the direction to get started? And at first he points one way and, and Goku's like, are you sure? And Krillin's like, don't question him. And then Roshi, of course, is like, uh, actually, I do think it's the other way around. <laughs> Yeah, there's another difference here in the Japanese and the English uh, because uh, Roshi sends them after what he calls a peachy peachy girl, which is a phrase that he uses a lot in Dragon Ball uh, in the dub, which is just like for like a fresh young girl, basically. And Goku misunderstands him as bitchy bitchy. And that's going to come back up a little bit later when Launch actually first arrives on the scene. But we do catch our first glimpses of Launch here. Yeah, like right after he is kind of talked to the kids about, I say the kids, that, that sounded weird at first, but they're not. They're kids in this this movie. Uh, whenever he talks to the kids about the Sleeping Princess, we get this quick like side shot uh, where we switch over and we see Launch. I don't think they say her name like ever in this movie, not at least not till the very end almost. But they uh, we, we discover Launch, who is also determined the secret of the Sleeping Princess and she's going to go after it. She's like a treasure hunter in this version of the telling of Dragon Ball. Uh, in the original show, I think she's a bank robber. Yes, I believe that is correct. And yeah. I do think that we're it's heavily implied that she has sorted out that the princess isn't a human being, that it is a jewel, because she seems nonplussed when she has it in her hands a little bit later on. Spoiler alerts. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. Uh, but then we switch back over to Roshi, and uh, it's funny because, you know, he's doing the pointing, trying to show the direction and where the, the castle is supposed to be. And I think Goku is the one that asks, like, well, do you know her name? And he sneezes, which is a yeah. huge kind of like, you know, hint towards the future, which we'll talk about later. 
Yeah, and and it's so weird the way that it's done in the in the English. The I will say this: if we're rate, well, we will rate this at the end. I will rate <laughs> the English lower than the Japanese. Do you think the Japanese makes more sense just all I, around for this movie? Um, I don't think it's a sense thing so much as the English squeezes in jokes and it and it feels super forced and they're just oh, not yeah. funny. Like none of the jokes are thing. funny in this. Yeah, they, like every joke falls flat in this movie. Yeah, and this is the sneeze is not in the Japanese. I don't believe. Gotcha. I mean, I, if it was, I don't remember taking a note on it. There are some other places where just the the dialogue is tried to be turned so that it's more humorous, and it fails everywhere. The English yeah. is not good. Do you remember in the first movie there was the robot that was super sarcastic that we thought yes. was hilarious? Yeah, there's nothing like that in this movie. Like but I don't think I that laughed. That also once. came later. That's true. Yeah. So hmm. that's a good point. And some of this could be the fact that, like, I think Chris uh, Sabat voices Yamcha in this movie. And from what I was reading online, this is his first anime. So I almost wonder, to some extent, if this may be, I don't want to say inexperienced, but they they weren't as experienced as they are now. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. No, so I think that's fair. That could be part of it, Well, which is really interesting. Uh, but anyways... Off to the races, right? We are about to get started. Krillin and Goku have to go find the sleeping princess, and immediately Goku calls for the Nimbus, but Roshi stops him and says, hey, look, that's an unfair advantage. Like, you can't, you'd get there too quickly. And so Goku's like, okay, that makes sense. Krillin offers kind of like a, a extension of peace. He's like, hey, look, let's set aside our differences, which I was like, what differences? You've known each other for 10 minutes. Whatever. <laughs> One's got hair and the other one doesn't. Are you yeah, paying I, attention? I guess, yeah. But uh Krillin says, let's set aside our differences. Let's make this all, you know, completely fine. And and they shake on it. And then Roshi's like, go. And Krillin immediately trips Goku and is like, ha, sucker. That makes way more sense in the Japanese, because in the Japanese, Krillin looks at Goku and he says, if you get into trouble, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately trips him up. And then the very next scene, they're, they're both, because they're on an island, they have to swim first. Um, so Goku is clearly out swimming Krillin at first um, until Krillin realizes he's being pursued by a shark. So he then starts out swimming Goku. When they get to land, though, Goku is running way faster, but he's just running way less efficiently. So he's running yeah. like up and down these like all over these mountains yeah it looks like he's running the damn emerald hills green zone from sonic <laughs> and yeah. krillin's just running like a flat foot 100 meter race to the right i'm like goku you would be crushing him if all you did was was be smarter but then you wouldn't be goku so i guess that's, that's true. fair that's true. my next note was that uh krillin's best tactic is to just try try to outwit Goku. And so he does. They cross this bridge and he pretends like they're under attack and gets Goku to stop in the bridge and then cuts it out from underneath him and then snipes him out of the air. Like Goku goes to jump to make it uh, to the ledge in time and uh, Krillin whips a rock and it hits him smack in the forehead, knocks him down in the water. So then then you see Krillin on a train. And yeah. I took major issue with this. <laughs> right. Because... Roshi told, he explicitly told Goku, you can't use the Nimbus because that, that gives you an unfair advantage. And here's Krillin using resources that Goku probably does not have access to in order to move closer towards the, the devil's hand. In Krillin's defense, Roshi didn't tell him to not use a bus or a train or anything like that. It's true, but he did say you would get there faster, which is him saying this is an advantage that you have that he does not. And so I feel like he would that Krillin should have taken that principle and applied it to himself. I'm not allowed to use resources that are at my disposal that he does not also have access to. 
Yeah, but that's kind of Krillin's personality in Dragon Ball. Like he's kind it of is. this. I, I know he's a little undermining. Yeah, he, like the best way I know how to put it, and we don't curse a lot on this podcast, but I'm just gonna say it. He's a little shit. You know, like, <laughs> he is a bit. <laughs> well, the next scene we get, they like he's riding some buffalo down what apparently I was researching online is supposed to be the uh, savanna with Mount Kilimanjaro in the background. Uh, I don't know how they know it's that specific, but he's riding these buffalo, and then all of a sudden he hears Goku running to catch up, and then literally he sees Goku just surpass him, so just totally gone. See, uh, I thought that this is where we learned that uh, Krillin was secret, a po- a secretly a Pokemon trainer and just had balls for a Tauros and was just like, <laughs> come on out, take me where I need to go. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that it's like a whole horde of them, too. He's around well, the right age to be a Pokemon trainer. Like five or six. I feel like yeah. they're really young in this. Those parents let those kids out on their own way too early. Right. Well, we transition over back to the Kami house where Roshi's just chilling on the beach. He's got his new nudie mag. He's listening to some sweet jazz, just reading the articles. And then Bulma shows up out of nowhere, which, to be fair, may not be like he seems very surprised by it. But I don't think he was upset by it because he's immediately like, oh, let's play bouncy bouncy. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think that it's easy to sneak up on Roshi when he's appreciating the feminine form. I because think so when, too. when Goku sneaks up on him earlier in the movie, he's watching aerobics. And here he's so engrossed in his magazine that he doesn't hear a freaking plane land on his <laughs> island. Like this dude loves himself the feminine form. And that is the most G rated way you can possibly say that about Roshi. Absolutely. Speaking of that plane, uh, that is actually the plane that they end up with at the end of the Pilaf saga in the TV show, not the plane from the movie uh, that we watched last round. So I just thought that was kind of interesting that they pulled that from the show and not the last movie. Interesting. I did not catch that. So with Bulma comes Poir and Yamcha and also Oolong, which to be fair, like I'm really shocked that Oolong continued to hang out with them. I just feel like after everything we saw in the first movie and knowing everything that happens to him in the fir- like first season of Dragon Ball, it's like, why did he not decide to just like go home, you know? Because he has learned that Bulma pays for favors with panties. Oh, that's fair, I guess. I guess maybe he did get that trade-off. We never see oh, it. Oh, yeah. But... We don't see it. And maybe she didn't. Maybe she, you know, just teased him with that, basically lying, had no intention of ever turning over her panties. But Oolong is an easily bought pig. Yeah, that's fair. Well, they ask Roshi where Goku is, and he's like, oh, he's off on a quest. I sent him to go get some stuff. And they call it pretty much. They're like, you mean he's out getting something for you? What do you want? You know, it's a woman, isn't it? And he's like, well, all of those stories about the sleeping princess aren't really true, are they? And it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, he's he's gotten caught. So they decide to fly off and go find Goku. Yeah. This is this is my biggest problem with this movie. The fact that the f- they like show up for 10 seconds and then leave? No, just the fact that they're kind of in it at all. Yeah, like they don't need to be. No, and they don't they don't add anything meaningful to the movie whatsoever that couldn't have been done by minions of Lucifer. Well, but they, they, I mean, Bulma's Bulma's role in this is this damsel in distress question mark with a, with this role during the ceremony that is only vaguely hinted at and doesn't really like isn't necessary for the ceremony itself it's just like a uh like flair on the yeah, ceremony pretty much i'm like these characters are completely useless in this 
in this movie. Yeah, but they're in the second part of the TV show, so they've got to have them in the yeah. movie. Come on. Uh, yeah. I just think... They actually are kind of instrumental in the end with some of the decisions they decided to make with Goku. Yeah, if you're talking about the cutting off of the tail, I, I think that... Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, they're they are the ones that kind of intervene there. And I guess you could say no to intervene for some random reason, which we'll talk about later, but... Uh, let's yeah. let's talk about this when we get there. Yeah, I'll complain about that when we get. I'll I will rebut your proposition when we get to that point. Okay, all right. Well, they are here, and they decide to fly off and go find Goku. Uh, and afterwards, we transition right back over to the race. Krillin is climbing up a cliff. Goku is actually already at the top and surprises him and first kind of like shocks Krillin and he's almost about to fall off, but then Goku helps him up. And right off the bat, they can both see the castle and it's pretty freaky looking. Like it's exactly like how it was in the the very beginning or the opening where there's like this red backdrop, like the whole color tone shifts to this very dark, deep red compared to kind of the lighter blues that we have seen up to this point. Uh, and it's it freaks Krillin out like a pretty good amount. He's like, that definitely looks like a devil's hand. And Goku's like, nah, and then runs off. <laughs> Again, I think that's Goku taking it like literally the way that that dialogue worked out where Krillin was like, you know what? Are you thinking what I'm thinking that that's really the devil's hand? And Goku's just like, nope. And yeah. he just runs off. And that's that, fair. That hand, if it is a hand, it's got a freak, freakishly long pinky finger. Like, it's not like the fingers aren't in proportion in the way that like a hand would be like the one of the outside edges is too long. Maybe but, it's like a Coke nail for the devil. <laughs> OK, I'll allow it. That's headcanon, too. I love this headcanon that we're developing as we go through. Yes, these. we're going to have a uh, totally different Dragon Ball at the end of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. We do cut over to a character that we find out to be a little bit later uh, is Lucifer. And he's taking off some sunglasses uh, because night uh, is falling. Uh, and he says, it seems we have some visitors, Igor. And he's, uh, so he recommends that a welcoming party gets sent out. And he says, perhaps we'll be serving up refreshments at the ceremony after all. And the implication therein, of course, is that the visitors will be those refreshments, but also that they could have done the ceremony without them. It's true. Well, we see Oolong and the gang flying through this gloomy, I believe Oolong calls it, gloom city or something along yes. the lines of that and that's the first of two cities that we're going to visit in this movie yeah and so yamsha is really cracking me up here because he's like huh something feels wrong and he turns and looks out the the side of the plane and immediately there's just these demons on the side and they start wrecking the ship and then we just see the ship like crash completely it's destroyed i i guess at this point like how did they not die i don't know uh, but then we transition back over to Krillin and Goku, who are running through like the inside of this cavern that they walked into that had this huge dragon head, and it looks like a castle and like a whole city in of itself. There's all these fake statues of monsters and stuff, and tiny bridges with like these massive gaps under them. It, it reminded me a lot of the Mines of Moria from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. And uh, yeah, they're startled by the entrance. It does look like a giant mouth, and they stop and make some quick comments about that. One of the statue's eyes like traces Krillin as after they walk by. And we uh -huh. also see one leg of launch, I think like come into screen randomly right at the very end, just to let you know, Hey, that person whose face you saw earlier, here's her leg. We'll yeah. fill out the rest of her later. <laughs> right, like we didn't see her leg earlier, but assume we, didn't. we have seen more <laughs> of launch, but still not all of launch. Yeah. 
So we get Bulma waking up in this really fancy, nice room with like a TV to the right of her bedside table, I guess, where she's watching this monster movie. She's waking up and she's in this big fancy bed and she's met by Igor, this butler. And uh, behind him walks in Count Lucifer, who is this very tall, blue, vampire-like looking man. And immediately Bulma is just like, ah, pretty man, huge, big heart eyes. She's all lit up for him. And she's like, hey, you guys attacked me, right? And it's so funny because Count Lucifer's just like, oh, no, that, no, that's not how that happened. They're just protective. And then he says, would you be in this comfy room if we wanted you dead? And she's like, well, guess not. Yeah, I uh, I had some questions with regards to Bulma in this particular scene. So, like, the monster movie that she's watching on TV looked like like a... Was it like a werewolf or ah, crap? It was, was like it Frankenstein the, or something. Yeah, it was like a classic monster movie. I assume it's Frankenstein because Igor is literally like ripped from Frankenstein. Yeah, well, and and maybe that's why it wasn't. Maybe it was a a werewolf because then you would have werewolf, vampire, and Frankenstein. Frankenstein yeah. Um, well, his monster, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, this this dude screams red flags. Like, if 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 monsters of that genre are known in this universe she should be like oh hell no get your vampire ass away from me you know um like she should immediately be taking issue however in her defense vampires do occasionally uh and canonically have uh like persuasion powers of some Um, kind yeah and they and they often are tied to their eyes like a look and there is a scene in this where you get this close-up of Lucifer's eyes and they kind of flash and then that's where Bulma kind of does this, ooh, I fall in love immediately kind of thing. But she does get to uh, get around to asking to see her friends. And then Igor goes and fetches this giant hypodermic needle, which apparently is necessary to meet her request. And she doesn't question that at all. (laughs) Well, like I have several times in my notes here where I'm just like, what was Bulma thinking? Like at no point in time does any of this make any sense. The only explanation can be that Count Lucifer is keeping her kind of like under control because what we know from her, at least in the first movie, like if you're only watching the movies alone, she totally hopped in an airplane and tried to fight the military in the last movie. In this one, she's done basically nothing. And she's so far playing along to this like random damsels in distress kind of role, which I hate. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like it fits Bulma's character in the slightest the way that she follows along with it, you know? Yeah, early Bulma is thirsty Bulma, though. Yeah, like you're not wrong. any dude but... that throws a glance in her direction, she's fawning for, man. And that's exactly what's going on here, perhaps even supernaturally. Yeah, that's fair. I'll give you that. Well, we switch back over to Krillin and Goku, who are running through the inside of this, like, cavern now. And it's it's got this, like, really deep red color. Like, you can tell that they're trying to creep up a little bit, right? They're They're trying to make this freaky. And this is where, like you mentioned earlier, Goku hears this whole an army, like this entire demon army, basically. And Krillin's like, what army? What are you talking about? Uh, but we see all these demons literally like blowing horns. So I thought that was kind of strange. And they appear to be like, what, at, at least 500 strong? Yeah, there's a bunch. And they just kind of run over these two dudes. So they're yeah. not very perceptive. Because well, they- no, I think they just ran them over. I, I had a hard time telling what exactly was going on here because they blow the horns to come back and then that's when they actually engage them. And Gastel, who goes unnamed, but it's this giant red, knotty skinned pink ribbon sort of floating around his neck and underarms wielding two giant mallets, dude. Um, <laughs> he, he catches them and he says, thought you could outsmart us by playing dead like a possum. So maybe what if, if what you're saying is true, his 
his orders to all those demons were just like, just tr- just trounce them. That'll yeah. kill them. Yeah, that's what I but figured. But then they stand yeah. back up and he was like, oh, crap. Well, that didn't work. Yeah, and that one, like, that particular demon in particular confronts Goku directly. And Goku's just like, hey, let the princess go. And the, of course, he's like, no, we're not going to do that. Not at all. And then he's like, well, not only that, but the princess isn't a person. It's not even a person. And Krillin calls him a liar, and the demon just starts attacking, like hitting him with those ribbons, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty crazy. Like, he actually almost gets Krillin pretty well, I would say. Uh, but then Krillin's, mo- like, just bum-rushed by all these monsters. Like, he's just totally caught up. There's at least 20, 30 on him immediately, which apparently is one of the only times in Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, like movie history where we see one person take on like multiple groups of folks like it's almost a small army uh so you know he gets he gets totally trampled again well we get to see krillin do this again in resurrection f and it's awesome yeah it's one of my favorite parts about that movie is some of the lesser relevant uh dragon ball and dragon ball z characters get back to just kicking butt in like massive quantities of butt oh yeah no i totally agree with you there uh, I well, liked, um, I, I looked up too. this Gastel guy is based on this, this character named Prince Nezha of Chinese mythology, who is famous apparently for, uh, fighting against Sun Wukong, who of course Goku is based loosely off of, um, and the Japanese is a slightly different here. So you had mentioned that he basically tells Goku here that the princess isn't a person. Uh, but in the Japanese, Goku is just like, are you the princess? And he says no. And that confuses Goku because <laughs> Goku's just like, well, you're you're not the princess? And he's just like, what? <laughs> like he's, that's what confuses him. Not that's the fact awesome. that this dude said that the princess wasn't a person. But yeah, Krillin is kicking all kinds of butt. Goku and, uh, and Gastel get into a bit of a fight. Everything feels super slow here. The Gastel and Goku fight in particular, it's just, it moved slow. It, 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 it just slow. was. Well, and also um, not only that, but if some of the animation looks weird to anybody, I was reading that apparently when they did this movie, they like somehow they messed it up. I don't know exactly the specifics behind it, but every other frame is completely cut. So, oh, weird. Second, that does make sense, though. Yeah. So like there are times when it, they're supposed to be running across water, but it looks like they're just floating across water. It's because the second frame is gone where they would have moved their legs, basically. And the same for the fight scenes. Like, there are times in the fight scenes when it seems, like, to just transition kind of weirdly, and it's due to that second cut, basically. Yeah. It, this movie is full of one-hit KO minions, um, which is, like, this silly trope that I've been thinking a lot about because I, I just finished the uh, Ninja Turtles movie by minutes podcasts, and, like, every foot soldier in those movies falls in one hit, doesn't matter who gives it to them. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, like, everybody that Goku and Krillin hit is down in one punch. Yeah, every but- single one. They're also, like, a fully equipped military. Like, they all have guns and multiple, like, belts of ammo around them. So, like, either it's one of the the monster's hobbies or they have someone supplying them. Yeah, I mean, and and they're all terrible shots, which is just par for the course regarding, uh, you know, Gurumez's forces in the last movie as well. Sure. Just bad shots. They, They almost never hit. I don't think these two boys get shot at all and no. there are thousands of rounds levied at them over the next like 10 minutes of movie time. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, the main demon, what, what did you name him? Gala toss? Uh, no, the, the main guy is named Gastel. Gastel. Wow. I was totally wrong. I didn't even bother to look up the name cause it's not mentioned in the movie. I assume yeah, it, it wouldn't, is not. 
Yeah. Anyways, well, Gastel starts doing a couple of special moves while he's fighting off against Goku. Uh, but while he is distracted, Krillin just decides to run off. He's like, all right, smell you later. Runs off. And then we transition over to Bulma, who is getting a tour of the castle. Like, she's totally taken the easy side of this, I guess you could say. Uh, Count Lucifer is flirting with her left and right. And Igor is still carrying around that massive syringe. And Lucifer leads her right up to this giant double door. And, like, I feel like you've, if you've ever played D&D, you know that the double doors are bad. Like, don't go through them. The big bosses are always behind them. But in this case, it leads to a massive stadium full of demons. And, like, in the middle of the stadium is this, I, I'm going to say, huge pedestal with, like, this yeah. massive... It's, like a, it's a dais with a yeah. four-poster bed on it. Exactly, exactly. So, and then the, uh, Lucifer pretty much introduced her and is just like, hey, look, this is the special guest of the evening, everybody. And she's put in this really nice little chair and tied down immediately. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, pretty, and in here, I think I've got in my notes, like, why is Bulma so dumb in this movie? But I, now that I think about it, you're totally right. I think Count Lucifer's probably got her under his control a little bit. At least in the Japanese, at least she tries to reason out why it is that she's looking at a bunch of demons and seems a little less clueless. I mean, she's still not sharp, but she thinks that maybe it's a masquerade party. Oh, wow. And that the costumes are really, really well done. Yeah, because in this one, she doesn't even like, she's just like, why are we here? What are we doing? Who are you people? And Igor actually goes to stick her with that syringe and start, you know, drawing blood out of her. Um, and Count Lucifer is like transforming into this crazy looking monster as he goes on to this speech where they basically tells her that they're going to use her blood for a toast. And she's just like, what do you mean? Like, she just yeah. has no idea. <laughs> she um, just doesn't get it quite yet. She'll get there. She'll get there. But it's, it's not right at this moment in time in the movie. No, no. I do have a note here that the soundtrack is actually pretty cool in some of these moments. Like, it sounds like if the audio quality had been a touch better, the, the music for this movie would have been really good. Yeah, a lot of it is like big, almost classical orchestral, orchestral type stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, we catch back up with Krillin, who is lost and scared. He has just departed Goku, and he gets picked up by a two-headed pterodactyl. Goku hears Krillin and starts to run after him, but Krillin manages to free himself by biting this bird. And this is one of my favorite parts of the entire movie, because he gets all smug Krillin, and so like he's falling. Uh, and he crosses his arms, and he goes, he's all smug, like, yeah, yeah, I did it. Um, but he's falling. Yeah. <laughs> and so he comes to that realization uh, and starts to freak out. But Goku calls Nimbus, uh, arrests Krillin's fall right before this giant, like, gator monster thing snaps him up. Uh, and he's like, it's okay, buddy, I got you. And he goes to, he tells Krillin to have a seat on Nimbus, which is one of the next funniest move, uh, moments in the movie because Krillin falls right through it <laughs> and has to be rescued again immediately. From the same monster. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I think they even reuse the clip. Um, oh gosh, yeah, there's a lot of recycled footage yeah. in this movie. And Goku tells him, he's like, you know, I wouldn't have worried about that monster. He probably would have spit you back out, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, so we transfer back over to the demon that was fighting Goku, who is now casting a spell. And that demon um, has these like fireballs under his feet, and it looks like he's going to use them to fly. And he does. And it works because, you know, we don't question much of that part of Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to say, it's just like these magical bits that we don't even think to question. It's like, OK, yeah, he can do that. Yeah, apparently. I think some of the research I did for the character he's based on said that that was that fire wheel or fan was something that he was, was something that he did, but I didn't think too much about it. Gotcha. Um, we get this funny line where 
Goku says, we got company. And Krillin says, what are they? And Goku says, they look like flying monsters with machine guns. And I just have in my notes, that's because that's exactly what they are. They <laughs> yeah. don't just look like that. They freaking are flying monsters with machine guns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. It, and it looks at one point like the monsters should have just been spraying each other, like mowing each other down, like they catch each other in their own crossfire. But it doesn't happen. I think that Although we do get a really times. cool shot of the boys on the Nimbus. Like, I love this shot. I'm a sucker for this this particular shot in like action movies where something is just barely outpacing a trail of bullets that's kicking up dust behind them. Yeah. There are some pretty cool shots like that in this movie for sure. But I think you're right. Like there are definitely moments where this military or the, these monsters should have been killing each other because they were just flying all over the place while haphazardly shooting machine guns. Gastel uh, does manage to catch up to him, but and now he has a pike and we do get to see up his skirt. So if you're interested in like, you know, male demon upskirt, there's some in here. <laughs> there's something um, for you. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of recycled animation. I have in my notes here. Um, the, the fire that he's riding appears to be faster than the nimbus because as they're trying to outrun him he is quickly closing ground but goku does manage to lure him over that weird gator monster and he does get snatched up uh and i was like i was just waiting for somebody to turn around and say something like should we tell the monster he has something in his teeth because the little pink ribbon is sticking out one side oh yeah that's right yeah that's funny didn't happen though the one time that the english could have had a good joke and they missed it I don't think they would have executed it well in this movie. It wouldn't have <laughs> happened. It would have just fallen flat. Uh, I mean, we get this next weird joke where we transfer over to Igor, who is like cleaning Bulma with an alcohol prep pad for the syringe. And she's like laughing it up and is like, I normally aren't this easy, at least not on a first date, you know? And it's, it's like really, you can tell it's supposed to be a joke, but it's another one that falls flat. Uh, so that happens. And even Igor is like, no, I'm just cleaning you so you, you don't get infected. <laughs> yeah he's just cleaning her shirt like yeah, her there's shirt. no skin there's contact no skin here is anything. the weirdest thing yeah but uh anyways the way igor is going to end up taking as much blood as he possibly can from her i'm sure uh, but we get this moment where count lucifer addresses like all the monsters in the stadium and it felt like one of those moments that i'm sure you've experienced at like bible camp because count lucifer is just like all right everybody Hold the person to the right of yours hand and take a moment of silence, please. Okay, that doesn't happen <laughs> here, but when it does, I point it out in my notes because it's one of the dumbest things and it is not in the Japanese version. And again, that's why the English is going to get a lower rating than the Japanese. That's that's funny that it's not in the Japanese version because it's a weird moment. Oh, you're right. It's not here. I got ahead of myself. I apologize. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's real bad when it does happen, though. Um, we, we catch back up with Goku and a ridicule kind of zeroes in on him in the Nimbus and Krillin. Um, but it's the demons who get blasted out of the sky. Although I guess Krillin and Goku do get shot down, too. Oh, yeah. They fall down onto the bed. Before this, we find out, though, that Oolong and Yamcha are in the crowd dressed as monsters. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was supposed to cover. Not the part that happens later. But hey, you yeah, know. Oolong <laughs> is just transformed into a demon all on his own. But Puar is just like a, a mascot head. Yeah, for. Uh, Yamcha is the best description I can like he's transformed into a demon head but it's just covering Yamcha's face he's in a monster suit basically yeah yeah well they fall out um, onto the bed they that's where they discover that the princess is a rock um, but launch comes in on this like motor unicycle and steals it immediately and then she says the second dumbest thing in this movie do you know what line I'm talking about I'm not sure she says monster mash graveyard smash oh yeah <laughs> and krillin i think one of the, the two boys just says do you hear what she said and i wanted the other one to just be like yeah she said the lyrics to monster mash and it has 
no contextual relevance besides the fact that there are monsters here, but she just says it like it makes all of the sense in the world. And I was like, what in the hell is this tub? It's so freaking bad. She doesn't even say her name. She doesn't introduce who she is or anything. I think she just gets on her unicycle, says that kind of one-liner, and then takes off. Yeah, but in the Japanese, again, another reason why it's even better. Number one, she doesn't say monster mask, graveyard smash. Goku also says, is that the bitchy bitch? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Which is accurate. Like, yeah, like right now while she's blonde. Yeah, yeah, kind of she is. Yeah. Well, Yamcha, Oolong, and Bulma all now see Go- Goku. And they're like, Bulma's actually crying out for him as Goku's running off stage. It's really funny. Uh, but Yamcha's there. And he calls out to Bulma, but when Bulma says Yamcha's name, he's like, uh, Igor hears it and is like, that's a really strange name. Something's up here. And Oolong goes to vouch for Yamcha, but Oolong is no longer a monster. And Poir is like, hey, Oolong, you're not a monster. As Poir then turns back into her normal shape as well. So everyone's ousted. And we cut, we cut over to Launch, who has her hair tickle her face, so she sneezes and turned in, turns into like the purple or the dark-haired version. Um, spills off of her unicycle. So Goku ends up with the uh, with the jewel, with the princess in his hand. And in the English, he he basically is thinking out loud, he might have even said it out loud, that he thinks that the Roshi will still be satisfied with this princess. And I'm like, no, dude, he, he wants a peachy peachy girl. He, if you bring him back this rock and he's like, can I be your student now? I don't know that he would be accepted. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that he would be either, especially if he knew all of the women that he passed up. Yeah, no kidding. Um, count has Krillin at this point. I put the count. Um, and so that's what I read, <laughs> the count. but it's Lucifer. Um, did you notice how closely his hair resembles Goku's too? Yeah. And he's not even like the only bad guy or other character in all of these movies that will watch that. That is the case, but he's certainly the first one. Yeah. He's, he does definitely have like a very kind of similar hairstyle to Goku. Uh, but he's demanding that Goku hand over the princess. Like, Hey, give me that diamond back or I'm going to kill your buddy here. And Krillin doesn't appear to be able to put up a fight against the count <laughs> at all. No, he's got tiny little limbs. Yeah. So Goku does and no key attacks that we know of. Right. Uh, Goku does go ahead and trade off. Uh, but then immediately all of the demons attack. Uh, and one even like small, tiny demon bites down on Goku's tail, weakening him. And he just gets beat to hell like he's all beat up. Uh, obviously, this really upsets Krillin, but it doesn't seem like there's anything he can do about it. And they both go unconscious entirely. And we transitioned over back into this like stadium area where we see the countdown beginning. And we see the ceiling open up and Count Lucifer is talking about where he's envisioning this world where there's a monster on every cereal box. Like monsters are just the norm, right? Okay, let's, let's stop and talk about this for a minute. Apparently this isn't our world <laughs> because there are lots of cereal mascots that are also monsters. Literally I, monsters. I, I can think of I like... I wrote down three without even thinking about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, there was literally the whole monster cereal thing. Like, that's legitimately a thing. Oh, I don't know. I, I just knew Count Chocula, who is a vampire, which also Lucifer is kind of. Yeah. Frankenberry, mm-hmm. which Igor is, and then Booberry. And I, I don't... Maybe Booberry is the little blue or the uh, little pink ghost that... Or demon thing that bit onto Goku's tail, who... Uh, I should point out because it was pretty funny. It, it it was like he was a broken clock, that little pink demon, because in two other scenes, I think that he, he was kind of biting Goku in random places. Uh-huh. And, and it was such a minor bite that Goku was just like swatting it off. But he finally found the spot. And I was like, hey, that guy gets his day. And then even funnier than that to me is that as basically as a reward, I think, for stopping being the one that figures out Goku's weakness, 
that's the demon that they set as his, as their like jailer. <laughs> it's like who who are we gonna get to watch these guys? Let's put the one that stopped that monkey boy, and he's clearly got this thing sorted out. And that made me laugh. That is funny. Yeah, that that's awesome. But yeah, monster serial mascots are a thing, dude. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like there's even a mummy one too. Like I I I'm pretty sure that they did all of the monsters at some point in time on cereal boxes. So, well, the moon lights up. And ends up hitting the sleeping princess. And then it like turns into this really shiny, bright red looking diamond like thing that lights up all these other pillars in the room. It's pretty cool scene, actually. Um, And this is where the the Woodstock moment happens. Yeah, yeah, this is where like the Count Lucifer is just like, all right, everybody, you know, hold hands and and pause for reflection. So dumb. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The English dub on this of this movie drove me bonkers, and I watched it like five, six times. It, I mean, it was driving me nuts. I'm glad to hear that the Japanese version's better. Like, it makes me it feel like maybe I should start watching the Japanese versions. It's it's pretty fun. The differences are notable in places, but for the most part, it's it's fairly well translated. But man, when the English just tries too hard, it it just fails in this one. Man, it's just no good. Yeah. Um, we do catch up with the crew, the the Goku and Co, uh, and they are trapped in this rock guarded by the pink creature I'd mentioned. Uh, and Oolong asked Puar if he's scared. And Puar's like, yeah, a little bit, but the moon sure is pretty. And Goku asks where the moon is and looks up. And if you're familiar with Dragon Ball at all, you know that that's probably not a good thing because right now Goku still has his tail. So he looks up uh, and it becomes time for the giant ape time. Uh, and in the English, uh, Yamcha exclaims, oh no, not again. In the Japanese, they don't know what's going on. In fact, Krillin makes some sort of were- werewolf joke here. Um, and then we go to the second city of this movie. First city was Gloom City. Um, and Yamcha takes us to Ape City here. But what's interesting, <laughs> I thought that this was kind of weird that they did it this way in the English. But uh, if the first movie, Curse of the Blood Rubies, was the first 12 episodes of the anime, roughly, uh, this picks up with episode 14 so it skips episode 13 because 14 is when krillin first shows up but episode 13 is the one where goku goes into his ozaru form for the first time so i think maybe that this obviously came i would think later than uh that particular uh episode's english release and so they were just like eh, they know and just let it be well and to be fair this movie feels like in addition to the tv show not in replacement of like the first movie so I'm fine with it, but I did think it was kind of a weird thing to do. I also don't know that I like the way they use the Uzaru form because it's like just kind of a, it's like they did it just to do it. Like, it's not like he gets them out of the situation other than just releasing them from the the small trap that they were in, like that wall that they're stuck in. Yeah, that's, that's all it was. That's all it was. Free card. But like, yeah. it would have been so cool to see him just like totally decimate that, that Coliseum with Count Lucifer. Like the last thing that Count Lucifer was expecting was a massive ape to break down that Coliseum. That would have been really all, cool. That's all I'm saying. All the Ozaru form manages to do is break a finger. That's literally it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and bring us naked Goku, which, you know, is so whatever. necessary, right? Yeah. Uh, Even Goku's a little baffled by that part. Yeah. He's like, all right, I get the ape part, but where are my clothes? But regardless, yeah. <laughs> let's back it up just a little bit. So we do get a scene here where he breaks everyone out and he is holding on to launch. And this is a direct parallel to the TV show and the manga where he's holding Bulma in a very similar situation. And obviously this is a reference back to uh, King Kong. So I think that one's pretty, pretty spot on there. 
Uh, but Yamcha is pretty quick to point out, like, hey, Poir, you need to turn into a pair of scissors. We'll just cut his tail off. And they do. And yep. he he's no longer a monkey. So, But they did manage to completely destroy one of the devil's fingers. It completely collapses, and this upsets Count Lucifer. But Igor is just like, ah, it's the pinky finger. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, he says, don't worry. The master plan is still in effect. And Bulma says, what is the master plan? And Igor's response is just, the one master came up with. Yeah. And again, I was just like, this This is like hanging out with some of my pun-loving friends. That line just didn't land with me. I was just like, gosh, can we not? Uh, see, can we just not do that? It's not that I thought that was funny, but in my in my head canon, it's not that Igor was trying to be punny as much as he was just like, all right, if she doesn't get it by now, she's never going to get it. I'm not telling her again. <laughs> that's fair. You know? Like, that's yeah, probably, okay. that would suffice for Bulba. Yeah, the one the master came up with. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Shut up, he's, you he's just treating Bulma like, <laughs> like the the ditzy girl that she is. Yeah, um, yeah. With with naked Goku does come one of my other favorite comedic beats of this, just because of the way that they staged it. Um, which he freaks out. He falls over, freaks out that he doesn't have his tail, so he starts hopping around. He's like, "My tail, my tail, oh my gosh!" But then he just suddenly stops. We get full frontal Goku nudity, and then he just says, "Oh well," and he just says it as deadpan like that. Like yeah. completely ceases his tantrum, and then everybody does the anime like fall down on their backs in a single frame thing, and that's always a funny gag to me. What really cracks me up though is they transition from that to I think it's Yamcha going. By the way, guys, it's not over yet. Those creeps still have Bulma. Like, I, yeah, of course it's not over. What are you talking about? Just go save her. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. why are you stopping to have this conversation? So we do transition back over to the demons. Uh, we see like this really crazy looking piece of machinery in my notes i described it as like a dragonfly railgun that's what i thought it looked like accurate uh so Crit- count lucifer is loading the sleeping princess or the diamond into this railgun looking thing and he just point blank tells balma like i'm gonna blow up the sun well that's because balma asks she's like why can't you tell me what you're going to do i can't stop you and then he's just like okay then yeah <laughs> and so he does it <laughs> yeah and the only reason he's doing it is because he loves darkness I like that. Yeah, like, eh, I like darkness. In the English, she says that we need the sun to survive, but in the Japanese, she's way more shallow. She's just like, but we like to go swimming at the beach. We need that. <laughs> we need the sun to do that. Jeez. And he's just like, well, to us, it's a nuisance, so we're gonna we're gonna blow it up. Uh, this is where the the rest of the crew shows up. Goku is wearing Oolong's pants, so Oolong is somewhere running around in his undies. Um, we do see that at the very end of the movie. And I uh, in the. Lucifer actually attacks with the first beam, and there's a name for it because Doc and Battle is a thing. He shoots uh, an, an energy beam, a key beam at Goku called the Blood Bomber, a red energy ball attack fired from the right hand. Yeah, it's really cool that we get to see kind of like our, our first villain key attack because Gurumez didn't put up a fight at all. Not really. No, he, the only beam that we saw exit from Gurumez was Shinron. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The dragon beam. <laughs> Igor gets okoed by Yamcha, like immediately. He is just a non-player in this. Um, and then this was the strangest thing. Did you notice that like the, the screen that they were using to aim the dragonfly railgun was like this artistic rendition of the sun, like a painting Yeah. instead of the sun itself? Was that... Did they design it so that, now that I'm thinking about it, I hadn't had this thought before just now, did they make it that way with an artistic rendition of the sun instead of the sun itself because they couldn't look directly at the sun? I assumed it was probably like being reflected to them somehow, like multiple mirrors, that way it wasn't a direct look at it. That's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. But it was. It looked like a painting. It, it did looked look like, like they a painting, were scrolling yeah. over their plans, not looking at something up in the sky. It was the weirdest thing. That's true. But to be fair, like on top of that, this whole scene's kind of weird because we were just privy to like thousands of demons 
and they're nowhere to be seen now. And Goku and Krillin were able to completely make it over here with like no problems. They did 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 they not fight that whole army? Did we just miss that? You know what I mean? Like they're one hit KO minions. Remember? I guess so. I guess Who they are, just weren't Oolong, even important. Bulma, all they're them. all over there just kicking butt. Yeah. Well, Goku does end up using the Kamehameha wave to destroy this machine before it actually gets a shot off. So, like, Count Lucifer's got it powered up. He's about to pull the trigger. Goku blows it up. It starts crumbling. And it's not that the machine is, like, crumbling. It's just that the support around it is. So it's falling. And as it's falling, I guess somehow it ends up turning and pointing right at Count Lucifer and blows him up. Boom. Yeah, there is a a shot where Lucifer does pull push... He doesn't pull the trigger, but he presses the button that serves as the functional trigger. And it has this crazy long delay. I suppose that it's because it needs to charge up or whatever. Right. Um, but boy. it does fire on him, kills him immediately, like disintegrates. Uh, and then I guess the princess gem thing blows up too, because it's not shown and launch doesn't like have it later on. Well, and not and only I feel that, like she would have grabbed it, but it shows like multiple fingers exploding. So like this was a pretty big explosion from the sleeping princess. Like that was a lot of power that just went up in air, I guess. Two more fingers end up getting blown up in this scene. Yeah. And I'll tell I'll tell you why two is important in just a second. So we, we catch up <laughs> with everybody on out, like, it's like a hard cut from explosions to it being daylight and everything's resolved. Um, and Krillin's whining that they failed because they didn't get the princess. And Goku's just like, we did our best. And Oolong, you know, quips about being the one who supplied the, the pants. And then the narrator's voice says, kids say cheese in the Japanese or in the English version. It's Christopher Sabat's voice, actually. that says kids say cheese and they pose and they say cheese and they all throw up the little peace sign. And behind them, the devil's hand is doing the same. Yeah, it was a pretty cool little picture. Like, just fourth wall breaking. Is it different in the Japanese version? In the Japanese, they all say peace. And it's much more, like, telegraphed. The hand in the back is doing the same thing. Like, gotcha. it's, visually, it's the same. But when they all say peace, then you make that association right, a lot better. Right, for sure. Well, they end up bringing Launch back to the Kame house. And Roshi is ecstatic because he's like, oh, look, you brought me the princess. And it's funny because Goku and, and Krillin at first are like, no, we didn't. But he's like, no, no, what are you talking about? She's right here. This is great. And they ask if they are his students. And it's funny because Goku is just like, hey, you know what? Am I your student now or what? And, and he goes, does a dog bark? Heck yeah, you're in. I, I love that. I thought that was awesome. And he ends up accepting Krillin too. Uh, he decides to bring him along. And Roshi takes launch into the house itself to show her his new pad. He's excited about it. But Goku never follow never follow Roshi into the Kami House. That's just good life advice in the Dragon Ball universe. It should be. That's for sure. That needs to be on a fortune cookie, uh, or, maybe or, or one of the Kaio Cinema shirts. The Kaio Cinema shirts. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Well, while Goku and Krillin are celebrating, Launch must have sneezed once she got inside the house because now she's back into her blonde hair and she's shooting Roshi like mysteriously with this gun that she pulled out of nowhere. Uh, and then she she's like, "Oh, that happens all the time." It's just normal, and the movie just cuts. But yeah. this is apparently something they removed. Uh, uh, there was another rendition where Goku actually says, what did you do to her? And then the movie cuts, but they decided to, to take that out. Yeah, and that seemed like such an asinine thing to cut. Like, how was that harmful? I have no idea. It seemed kind of like a weird thing to cut, too, but someone somewhere up the chain must have decided that it made a huge tone difference at the end, I guess. Well, we had talked some, now we're kind of jumping into some of the trivia stuff that we didn't cover as we wove our way through the narrative itself. Um, we had spoken earlier about some of these voice actors. We didn't cover all of them, um, but we will by name here shortly. 
according to Mike McFarland, who is one of the mainstays in Dragon Ball everything, uh, when they were doing this original dub, they had about 150 actors um, from around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They were all like local uh, to that place when they did this particular one. Eight of them were chosen, but only really four of them ended up staying around for very long. So a lot of these voice uh, actors that we have in this movie, we don't get in any of the other ones. But we do get Brad Johnson, who is Oolong and will all only ever be Oolong. Like, he's my Oolong. Uh, Mike McFarlane, who we already covered, um, is Roshi and a handful of other characters later on. He's my Roshi. Christopher Sabat, who we've talked about in both movies now, is Yamcha and several others. Uh, and then Monica Antonelli, who is somebody I don't think we mentioned during the course of the movie, but voices Puar. There's also another bit of trivia that I found Apparently, the plot summary on the North American DVD case actually identifies Goku as being a Saiyan for this movie, which doesn't really make any sense since that's not a plot point and wouldn't actually be revealed for a long time up until the appearance of Raditz way later in DBZ. So why it's there, I don't know. But I did note that it's not on my copy, so they revised that at some point in time. Yeah, it probably was just on like the single release. We we Adam and I are watching the Funimation boxed sets, right. the the slender DVD sets. Which apparently I have read online that if you are, want this movie, the recommendation is to try and find the single DVD because it actually has the fixed audio. The the audio uh, for the movie I got in my four pack not so great. Like not great. I'd rate the audio a two out of ten. It's horrible. And the fact that the Funimation bad. like did that, and then they were like, yes. Let's do the TV show now. I'm just like, I'm surprised. You know, like, it, it's rough. I had mentioned in Curse of the Blood Rubies that Dragon Ball uh, Dock and Battle actually has an event that's based off of that movie. After digging a little bit deeper, I've learned even more. Sleeping Princess and Dragon, or in Devil's Castle, is also an event inside of Dock and Battle. Um, and during that event, you will fight uh, a version of Kid Krillin. You will fight uh, Gastel. Then you will fight Launch, then you'll fight Uz Uzaru Goku, and then lastly, you will fight Lucifer himself. And what's cool about this, uh, as I did some digging, is that when you beat Lucifer in the late stages of this particular event, everything else you're kind of getting training uh, items, I believe. But when you beat Lucifer, you get awakening medals. And so I started looking at this character that you're able to awaken, a awaken uh, for Goku Youth, um, whose initial little title in the game. Uh, is The Adventure Begins Goku Youth, who starts off as an SR, which is a rather low-tier character. Um, but as you progress your way through these Dragon Ball movies, you can get medals and level him up. From SR to SSR, you get medals from Curse of the Blood Rubies. And in the back of the card art, you will see Gurumez lur lurking behind Kid Goku. Then, uh, when you beat the... Uh, the Sleeping Princess in Devil's Castle, you'll get Awakening Medals to take him from SSR to UR, and you'll see the DVD art for this movie uh, on the card as its art, in which Krillin appears to be doing uh, the thriller Michael Jackson dance. And then you can take that card even further beyond from UR to LR with medals from the next movie that we're going to be talking about, uh, which is once again going to be Mystical's Ad Mystical Adventures, and you can end up with the characters characters, plural, to an exciting future Goku youth and Orale Nurumaki. That's really neat. You know, it's been a long time since I played the Dock and Battle. There's like, now that we're watching the movies and knowing that these movies are kind of part of that game, there's a part of me that wants to pick it back up. Like, I know that I wouldn't Ugh, continuously play it, but... I can't go back. I, I threw 
a stupid amount of money at that over the course of a handful of years. And I, I just cannot go back to it. That's totally understandable. Well, I think we've pretty much already placed this movie in kind of like a timeline-ish area, but effectively it is supposed to be like the training of Goku and Krillin. That's This is what's going to replace, for the TV show at least, it explains their training in a different way. Instead of it being them lugging milk crates back and forth and fetching pretty women for, for Roshi, it's uh, them going on this vampire adventure, which I, I really like. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I really liked the high adventure aspects of this. I do think that I would have liked to have seen more of Goku and Krillin on their adventure, maybe having a couple of encounters along the way instead of having pretty much anything to do with Bulma, Yamcha, Puar, and Oolong. Um, like I said, they they were so extra and superfluous in this movie. Um, we, we could have done literally everything without them, including, um, so here I'm going to rebut your earlier position, when it comes to cutting off the tail, um, when that little pink demon latches down on uh, Goku's tail, any demon or Lucifer himself, anybody could have been like, oh, that's his weak point. And then when he turns into the ape thing, they could have just gone after the tail, assuming that that carried over because it's exactly what the other characters did. Yeah, that's totally true. I hadn't even considered So they weren't that. working with any extra information. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. I'll give you that. So I didn't like the the, the Bulma, Yamcha, Ua, uh, Puar, and Oolong were along for this. They didn't add anything to the movie, they, hardly at all. Do you think that they subtracted from it, though? Like having them there, did it make it worse? I think uh, I think they would have had to have figured out another way to do some of the expositing, like the exposition stuff from um, Lucifer, if if they weren't there. But I think they could have figured that out. I just there was nothing about anything that involved them in the movie that I was like, man, this movie could not have been the same without them. What's really you know weird what I mean? to me too, though, is that like basically the entire movie is a MacGuffin to get launch introduced and back to Kami House, <laughs> right. right? But yeah. Launch's name is not even said. And, and she doesn't really show up like until the very end. She's in this movie for all of like two minutes, probably. Yeah. So I just thought that was kind yeah, of funny. It's weird. Um, well, let's, before we give our rating for this episode, uh, let's talk about the Raditz scale real quick. You know, I'll, oh I'll be honest. I, I spent a lot of time looking at power levels for this movie, and I've got three different sources that are all very different. Uh, so one is from the Dragon Ball Power Level Wiki, and that site didn't have Goku from the movie. They had Goku from the Tournament Saga listed as 80, which since this is supposed to be right before the Tournament Saga, I'm like, eh, that seems a little high. Uh, but they had Count Lucifer listed as 350, which I personally like. I, I think you might have an issue with that one, though, right? That was the certainly the highest that I had seen it anywhere. I had found... A handful of other sources, including some YouTube videos where people made attempts to plot the power levels of everybody in these Dragon Ball movies. The The trick is that by at this point in the franchise, power levels aren't really a thing. Right. Uh, they don't become a plot device uh, until the very beginning of Z when Raditz introduces the Scouter and, you know, scans a human. And we get, you know, a, a piece of uh, uh, perspective from there. So it's really hard to sort out Dragon Ball power levels at all. There are some official documents out there like the Daizenshus um, that Toriyama, I believe, had some hand in uh, kind of supervising or contributing to. And most of them will put Kid Goku during 
early Dragon Ball leading up to the 21st Budokai Tenkaichi at the power level of 10, uh, with the Ozaru form being as high as 100, uh, but nothing for Lucifer. I found him as low as 40 uh, and as high as 350, so he's somewhere on this Raditz scale from 0.03 Radii to 0.23 Radii. So that's a a big gap, but he's still... I feel like he could take Guramez, uh, so I would lean towards the higher end of that scale somewhere. I definitely think Raditz would still kick the crap out of him, though. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I feel like Raditz would be able to take Count Lucifer no problems. But I, I like the higher rating of the like three fifty ish for Count Lucifer in this particular instance. Yeah, that, that puts him around where where I think Goku and Piccolo are at the very beginning of Z. It would be interesting um, to see Goku actually fight Count Lucifer uh, from Z. You know what I mean? Like a rematch almost. Yeah, well, he got disintegrated, so I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Speaking of Holler Minutes, though, uh, this movie actually rated lower on Holler Minutes than the first one. The first one was like 1.15, which works out to be like 68 seconds worth of just people hollering offensively. This movie was only 0.6, which is about 36 seconds of offensive hollers. So, so far, the franchise is not living into its infamy. But don't worry, we will soon get there. Yeah, like Z is going to blow these out of the water. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I have I have every reason to believe that Z is going to see multiple minutes worth of holler minutes at some oh, point. Oh, for sure. Well, on a scale of one to seven, where did you rank this movie? Knowing the first movie, we, we both pretty much gave it a three to seven. I think you said 3.5 if we were doing 0.5s, which no one's saying you can't. We can have, yeah. we can have half a Dragon Ball if we want. You know, I would say now, uh, if you're letting me do halvesies, I would say English dub of Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle is a two. I would say Blood Rubies is a three, and that Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle Japanese is a 3.5. I haven't watched the Japanese version of either, uh, but Sleeping Princess for me is easily a two. Like, I just, like, nothing about it's funny. The audio sucks. So. Two huge big red flags for me. I'm like every joke fell flat, and half the time the audio is very very hard to understand. I think uh, so. Those alone, I'm like that that dings it so hard. I like the originality of the story though. I think it's really cool that they went on this fun adventure. They fought this vampire. They fought all these cool demons. I really like that aspect of it. So I'd be willing to push it up into a 2.5 for that. But this is not a great movie. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, see, I like those. Those are the reasons why it gets that 3.5 for me. And because it doesn't try to be a replacement or a substitute for um, any section of Dragon Ball. I think that this could fairly easily kind of slot into a position and not be like crazily disruptive. Oh, yeah. You could fit this in between episodes like probably 15 and 16 and just make that canon almost, you know? Yeah. There's nothing from this movie that's going to carry forward that would totally disrupt any of our canon for the show, I don't think. Yeah, but we've we've still yet to see, you know, a movie, you know, a 3.5 even is only a 50%, you know? So we haven't seen one that's like, that now we're really starting to see these movies catch their stride and be really great, but hopefully we'll get there sooner rather than later. We shall see if maybe even a Dragon Ball movie is able to move us uh, that far up the Dragon Ball scale with Dragon Ball Mystical Adventure, which again, we'll be covering in two weeks upon the release of this episode. Yes, two more weeks, so you've got a little bit of time to go and check out that movie. Be sure to come prepared. We're going to talk about it and have some fun. But we'll see everyone in two weeks. See ya. See ya.